evidence and answers. Because of the intrinsic value of archaeology, many have turned to it in order to try to answer certain questions about the past. One of the questions most often asked is, did the things recorded in the Bible really happen? Even though it cannot conclusively prove the Bible's veracity in every instance, archaeology can provide important pieces of the past that consistently verify the Bible's historical and factual accuracy. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Sukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will continue on with his series in the Bible and discuss about archaeology and the New Testament and how they go hand in hand. Here's Pat now with part one. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical answers to the challenges of our day. And today we're entering into the fascinating world of biblical archaeology. Christianity is a historical faith based on actual events recorded in the Bible. Archaeology has therefore played a key role in biblical studies and Christian apologetics in several ways. First, archaeology has confirmed the historical accuracy of the Bible. And this is what you would expect of something that is divinely inspired of God. God is a God of truth. He does not lie and he does not err. Therefore, something written and inspired by God would be historically accurate. And archaeology has confirmed the accuracy of the Bible in many ways. It has verified many ancient sites, civilizations, and biblical characters whose existence was questioned by the skeptics and many in the academic world and often dismissed as mythology. However, biblical archaeology has done much to silence many of the critics, and as new discoveries continue to arise, we see that it continues to support the facts of the Bible. Second, archaeology helps us improve our understanding of the Bible. Although we do not have the original writings of the authors, thousands of ancient manuscripts affirm that we have an accurate transmission of the original text. Archaeology can also help us to understand more accurately the nuances and uses of biblical words as they are used today. And it also enhances our understanding of the culture of the biblical writers. You know, for example, many wonder why John in his letters wrote and opened his letters the way he did, especially 1 John, which opens with the phrase, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And then in Second John, he writes, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Well, who could John be writing about? Well, many believe that he was writing about the Gnostic heresy that was beginning to come on the horizon. He was already addressing the threat of early Gnosticism. And well, when we made the discoveries of the Nag Hammadi Library there in 1948 in Nag Hammadi, Egypt, we discovered the false Gnostic Gospels, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Thomas. And we discovered how the Gnostics refashioned and remade Christ into a Gnostic kind of Christ. 
And that's where biblical archaeology helped us understand the threats that John was writing against. So biblical archaeology helps us understand the culture of the biblical writers. Third, archaeology helps illustrate and explain many Bible passages. The events of the Bible occurred at a certain time in a particular culture, influenced by a particular social and political structure. Archaeology gives us insights into these areas. Archaeology also helps to supplement topics not covered by the Bible. Much of what we know of the pagan religions and the intertestamental period comes from archaeological research. For example, the gruesome worship of Molech. Molech. His worship included gruesome child sacrifice. According to archaeological discoveries, the god Molech was portrayed in a statue with his hands and arms held up to receive the child. And his hands would be heated until they were red. Then the child was placed into the hands of Molech where the child burned to death. And then the child would eventually roll down the arms of Molech into the fiery belly of Molech and the child would be consumed and as he rolled into the belly of Molech and was devoured by the flames it appeared as if a smile came across the face of the god Molech. That is the threat of the false religions in Canaan and that is why God told the Israelites to wipe out those civilizations. That kind of gruesome worship God did not want to influence or penetrate into the culture and corrupt the nation of Israel in any way. And we discover that King Solomon, after marrying his over thousand wives and numerous concubines, that he was involved in the worship of Molech. And so now we can understand in a greater way God's warning to the nation of Israel and why he gave such a strong warning. Because these were such of the practices of these pagan nations that Israel was called to judge and completely wipe out. So that is how archaeology can help us enhance our understanding of the Bible. Now, as we approach this study, we must also keep in mind the limits of archaeology. First, archaeology does not prove completely the divine inspiration of the Bible. It can confirm the accuracy of the events the Bible records. And that's what you would expect if something was inspired of God. It would be historically accurate. So archaeology doesn't necessarily prove that it's divinely inspired, but that it is accurate. And that's one thing that would uphold, be a part of your argument for the inspiration of the Bible. Second, unlike other fields of science, archaeology cannot recreate the process under study. As scientists do in a lab... They come up with a theory and then they test it by reproducing the event and testing their conclusions over and over and over again. However, in history, you cannot apply the scientific method. So archaeologists must study and interpret and look at the evidence that is left behind and come to the most reasonable conclusion based on the evidence that they find. All conclusions must allow for revision and interpretation based on new discoveries that may appear. Third, how the archaeological evidence is understood and interpreted depends on the historian's presuppositions and worldviews. It's important to understand 
that many researchers in these fields aren't necessarily believers in the Word of God. Many are skeptics of the Bible and some even hostile to the Christian worldview. So that is why you may find different conclusions, even contrary conclusions, to the new discoveries that are made. And so what the researcher must do and what we must do when looking at biblical archaeology is to look at all the evidence and to come to the most reasonable conclusion based on the evidence that is discovered. Now, this doesn't mean, as some relativists assume, that we cannot know anything about history. No, we can know facts about history because we have the archaeology and the evidence there. The conclusions that are made can be tested against the evidence that we discover. So the historical method differs from the scientific method. But we can come to reasonable conclusions based on the evidence that is there. Fourth, thousands of archives have been discovered. But remember, also an enormous amount of material has been lost throughout the century. For example, one of the greatest libraries in the history of the Christian church was the Great Library in Alexandria, Egypt, which held over one million volumes but all were lost during the Muslim invasion of the 7th century. Fifth, remember only a fraction of available archaeological sites have been surveyed, and only a fraction of surveyed sites have been excavated. In fact, it is estimated that less than 2% of surveyed sites have been worked on. And once work begins, only a fraction of an excavation site is actually examined, and only a small part of what is examined is actually published. For example, the photographs of the Dead Sea Scrolls were withheld from the public for 40 years after they were uncovered. So it is important to understand that the scriptures remain the primary source of authority. We must not elevate archaeology to the point that it becomes the judge for the validity of scripture. Archaeologist Randall Price states, There are indeed instances where the information needed to resolve a historical or chronological question is lacking from both archaeology and the Bible. But it is unwarranted to assume the material evidence taken from the more limited content of archaeological excavations can be used to dispute the literary evidence from the more complete content of the canonical scriptures. Over the centuries, thousands of discoveries have been made and the Bible has proven to be an accurate and trustworthy source of history. Noted archaeologist Nelson Gluick, he writes, as a matter of fact, however, it may be clearly stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a single biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. So as we go into the study of biblical archaeology, let us remember that archaeology has confirmed hundreds of sites, events, and individuals recorded in the Bible, affirming the historical accuracy of the Bible. But there are limits to archaeology, and there are still many questions that still remain. Now let's take a look at some of the most significant discoveries that have been made in modern times. For many years, skeptics questioned the Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Old Testament. And one reason 
stated was that the sophisticated writing style of Moses found in those first five books was not prevalent at that time. However, the discovery of the Ebla tablets changed all of that. 16,000 clay tablets from the 3rd millennium BC were discovered at Ebla in the modern country of Syria beginning in 1974. These thousands of tablets affirm such sophisticated writing and law codes existed during the time of Moses. The tablets also contain names of cities mentioned in the first five books of the Old Testament, such as Ur, Sodom and Gomorrah, and such pagan gods mentioned in the Bible as Baal. The Ebla tablets also contain references to names found in the book of Genesis, including Adam and Eve and Noah. One of the most important components of the discovery is that the oldest known creation accounts outside the Bible was discovered in the Ebla tablets. The Ebla version predates the Babylonian account of creation by some 600 years. And what's interesting is that the creation tablet is strikingly close to that of the Genesis account. Speaking of one being who created the heavens, moon, stars, and the earth, there are parallels that show that the Bible contains the older, less embellished version of the story and transmits the facts without the corruption of the mythological renderings. The tablets report belief in creation from nothing, declaring, Lord of heaven and earth, the earth was not, you created it. The light of day was not, you created it. The morning light you had not yet made exists. Now from this ancient extra-biblical creation account, you know, there are several significant implications that are significant for Christian apologetics. First, they destroy the critical belief in the evolutionary theory of religion. The evolutionary theory of religion states that the oldest religion was animism, worship of nature and the spirits. Eventually, animism turned into polytheism, the worship of numerous gods who ruled over certain parts of creation. And then from polytheism, it evolved to henotheism. Amongst all the gods, one was chosen as the most powerful and eventually from henotheism to monotheism. However, discoveries like the Ebla tablet show that the oldest religion is not animism, but indeed an ancient form of monotheism, a belief in one God, creator of the heavens and earth. That is the oldest form of religion, and from there, eventually it degenerated into polytheism, and then eventually animism. If you want more research, take a look at my article on the origin of man's religion. But that would be consistent with the biblical account here, that originally man had knowledge of one God, and eventually that turned into the worship of many gods, false gods, and eventually the worship of nature and witchcraft and animism. Secondly, the discovery of the Ebla tablets supports the view that the earliest chapters of Genesis are history and not mythology. Another significant archaeological discovery is an ancient Sumero-Akkadian Babylonian literary work 
called the Gilgamesh Epic. What is this epic all about? Well, many ancient civilizations of Mesopotamia, the Egyptians and the Greeks, all report a catastrophic worldwide flood. And one of the earliest records of ancient literature is the Gilgamesh Epic. Now, the most famous version is the Babylonian version, which was discovered in the Great Library of King Ashurbanipal of Assyria in the city of Nineveh. This library was discovered in 1853, and among the thousands of tablets, the Gilgamesh Epic was discovered. And these tablets dated back to the 7th century BC. This was the most complete account of the story. Now, following this discovery, fragments of an Earlian Akkadian flood story were discovered in Mesopotamia, dating back to about 1600 BC. And also after that, an even earlier Sumerian version of the flood story, dating back to 1700 BC, was discovered. So this ancient account of the flood was known to civilizations. 2,000 and many archaeologists conclude perhaps even 3,000 years before Christ. So thousands of years before Christ, these ancient civilizations had knowledge of a worldwide catastrophic flood. Now these extra-biblical accounts, their accounts differ from the story of Noah and the flood. But there are also many parallels. Now in the Gilgamesh epic, in this story, the gods sought to destroy mankind in a worldwide flood because of mankind's sin. However, there was a righteous man whom the gods favor. He is identified by the name of Utnapishtim. And I'm only going to say that name once. I'm not going to say it again. From here on out, we'll refer to him as Utna. But Utna finds favor with the gods and is ordered to build a large boat to rescue his family and the creatures of the earth. And so he builds a large boat and invites his relatives in, as well as the land-walking creatures of the earth. And according to the Gilgamesh epic, the flood lasted for seven days and seven nights, after which the boat landed on a mountain, Mount Nisur. Our hero then sent out three birds, a dove, a swallow, and a raven, to assess the situation of the flood. And upon disembarking, Utna and his family make an offering to the gods, after which he was granted immortality. Now, although there are several differences, there are also many parallels to the Genesis account. The discovery of ancient literature like this, along with the abundance of flood accounts in ancient texts, supports the historical nature of the biblical flood account. Another fascinating discovery are several law codes that have been discovered. In 1901, in the city of Susa, a seven-foot black diorite stele was discovered and is presently in the Louvre Museum. And it contains 282 engraved laws of the Babylonian king Hammurabi dated to about 750 BC. This is the famous code of Hammurabi. Here, many moral and ethical laws were stated here. And there are many similarities to the law of Moses found in the Pentateuch. Then, 
1930, in the modern city of Kirkuk in Mesopotamia, some 20,000 cuneiform clay tablets were discovered at the ruins of Nuzi, east of the Tigris River, dated to about 1500 B.C. These laws and regulations reveal institutions, practices, and customs remarkably congruent to those found in the book of Genesis. These tablets include treaties, marriage arrangements, rules regarding inheritance, adoption, and other laws that rule the society. Now, these law codes affirm the biblical account in several ways. First of all, skeptics question whether there were such sophisticated law codes that were around during the time of Moses, thus questioning the authorship of Moses. And many believe that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were written centuries later, perhaps by different schools of priests. Well, these writings revealed that there was sophisticated law codes back during the time of Moses. So Moses would be familiar with writing these kinds of law codes. Now, skeptics also then began to question and say, well, did Moses just simply steal from these civilizations? Well, remember when God communicates, he communicates in a way that people of that time can understand. So it would make all the sense in the world that God would be communicating his moral law to his people in a fashion contemporary to their times, in a way in which they could understand. And finally, it also holds what Paul states in Romans chapter 1, that the law of God is written on every person's hearts. The fact that there are many parallels in these laws of these pagan nations to the Old Testament law shows that God's moral and ethical law code is indeed written on the hearts of every man and woman. And therefore, as Paul states, all are without excuse. Indeed, the moral law of God is indeed ingrained on every man and reflected in these laws, in these pagan nations outside the nation of Israel. Now, here are just a few of the remarkable archaeological discoveries of modern times that uphold the historical accuracy and the historical nature of the Old Testament, even some of its most oldest books. And remember, I'm just simply scratching the surface here. Thousands of discoveries have been made that affirm people, places, and events of the Old and New Testament. There's no book that is so ancient that has so much historical accuracy as the Bible. And that's what you would expect from a book that is indeed inspired of God. Let's compare it to other books that claim to be divinely inspired. For example, the Book of Mormon claims that there were numerous civilizations of the Nephites and the Lamanites, the caliber of Babylon and Egypt, spread throughout North and South America. Yet, how much archaeology have we found that confirm these cities, places, and events of the Book of Mormon. We have not found any. In fact, Mormon archaeologists are deeply troubled by the lack of evidence that supports the Book of Mormon. How much historical and archaeological evidence is there to support the events of the life of Muhammad as recorded in his earliest biography by Ibn Ishaq? Well, there is very little 
And all of that is beginning to come to light that is deeply troubling to many Muslim historians. Compare that with a book like the Bible where there are thousands of archaeological discoveries that affirm the historical accuracy of the Bible. I just touched on a few. When we come back together again, I'll cover some more of the fascinating archaeological discoveries that affirm the historical accuracy of the Bible. So I hope you'll join us again here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the conclusion of Pat's study on archaeology and the Old Testament. We hope you found this broadcast to be a blessing. Please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on that Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our webpage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you right there on the site. Join us again next time on the air or online for more evidence and answers. Evidence and Answers.